Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How's it going? Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 31st is just moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Isn't that right, Robert Mullen? That's correct. <laughs> and, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J., first off, how you feeling? You know, feeling pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Okay. That's my Larry David invitation. All right, good. That's your update, everybody. Now give us a song of the day. I've been listening to a lot of Aretha Franklin the last couple of days, so I'm going to sing uh, Aretha. Each morning I wake up, hey, before I put on my makeup. Did. A lot of people are like, wait, Ben, isn't that a Dionne Warwick song? Yes, but it was also recorded by Aretha Franklin. There you go. Say a little prayer for you, D, huh? There you go. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, March 31st, and live from Ben's house, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we're working smart, not hard. One guest, Dr. Howard Ehrman. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Crazy Tuesday, and here's why. Because the world's crazy, everybody. But wait, before I get into the crazy, first things first, as I always do on a Tuesday. Great week. You have a good weekend, D? No. Okay. <laughs> well, at least he's honest about it. Very boring. <laughs> uh, let's see. What did I... Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time... Um, I know you don't like me talking about sports, D. Uh, allow me this leeway just to say this. Bob Dylan on Thursday night released a new song, and a lot of you younger listeners are like, oh, Bob Dylan, oh my God, isn't that that old guy? No, yeah. no, millennials love Bob Dylan. Is that real? Oh, yeah. Wow. I've told you that before on the show. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, I forgot it if you told me. Anyway, well, then millennials, you know I'm not saying anything you already know. He released a song that's called Murder Most Foul. It's 16 minutes long. It's about the Kennedy assassination, and it takes off from there to make all kinds of references to uh, music in America in the 20th century and into the 21st century. Folks, I'm utterly obsessed with this song, okay? I, it's not even a song. It's more like a poem. Uh, Dylan uh, basically reciting it with this, like these. Yeah. <laughs> no, he does. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it, okay, it, <laughs> it, it's not okay. That's Dylan, quote unquote, singing. It's Roses not a bad. Roses are red. <laughs> Violets are blue. Yeah, uh, it's it's so it's not really like that. It's more like rose red, violet blue. Down in Dallas, someone was shot. 
that's kind of how it goes. That didn't rhyme. <laughs> no, I couldn't think of a rhyme <laughs> with Dallas. Down in Dallas, Debbie was dead. Get it? Debbie does Dallas. Oh, my so God. That's the kind of thing Dylan will do. He'll like, he stitches together all these different names and phrases, and you're left wondering, is there a connection to it? Is there a greater meaning to it all? Or is he just messing with our minds? And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time listening to it. And then I got reading the lyrics. And then, of course, I called uh, one of my dearest friends in the world, one of the biggest Dylan geeks there is. Yes, I'm speaking of Mick Dumkey. And we decided we're going to do a bonus show on this, D. We're going to get to get more done. I just going to have to listen to this. Uh, two Dylan freaks geeking out. Uh, but I bet you'll be a lot of people want to check that out because Mick has a whole bunch of theories about the song, which are really interesting. Actually, there's a political song because it gets into uh, Dylan's theory as to who is behind the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy and how it is sort of let loose on the world. All the insanity that existed this very uh, day, all the poisons and toxins uh, that we're dealing with to this very day. So anyway, did that. And, uh, and then, speaking of crazy, I saw episode one of Tiger King. Uh, which, by the way, in my struggle for dyslexia, I'm always battling to call it not King Tiger, uh, which is, you know, you know me, D, you've been dealing with me for a long time, fighting that dyslexia oh, yeah. every day of my life. Uh, but anyway, Tiger King, folks, this is the Netflix show. It's the number one run, show. Run, on don't walk? Run, don't, uh, run, don't walk. Yes, I struggle with that one. Don't walk, don't run. No, no. I'm saying, is that, is that is that your suggestion? Oh, I thought you were saying that's one of my dyslexia no. moments. Um you know, folks, I'm hesitant to uh, recommend it. It's one of these shows where I'm embarrassed by how much I like it and intend to watch the whole thing. Uh, but, you know, do I recommend it? Other people spend their time doing it? I, listen, what the, the, it doesn't really matter because it's the number one watch show in America. And the timing of it was absolutely perfect. It's about a bunch of lunatics in the South. Uh, and they are crazy. Okay, so that fits in with the theme. They are crazy. They're people who uh, have this mad love for big cats, tigers and lions. And uh, one puts a hit on the other. And, well, let's just say they're all insane. Uh, as is, and as is really anybody that would, like, keep a big cat as a pet. Right? Just throwing that out there. Um, so, anyway, yes. Do I recommend it for the people? Well, like I said, the timing of this show is perfect. It shows absolutely insane people who are fearless about showing their insanity to the cameras. So it's like, do you want more insanity? I'll give you more insanity. And the camera's like, yeah, bring it, baby. Uh, at the very time that the show gets unleashed, at the, uh, at the very time that America is stuck at home and has nothing to do. And I know, I'll watch someone who's crazy and... <laughs> I'll find that mildly entertaining. And it, it is kind of in a weird way. So anyway, yes, if you want to be entertained, if you have a lot of time in your hand, which is most of you, uh, check it out. I'll say this about uh, the people in uh, Tiger King, crazy people that they are. They aren't really hurting anybody except themselves and maybe the tigers that they keep in their cages. But then there are these other crazies that exist in the world in the age of the coronavirus. Let's start with the good Reverend Rodney Howard Brown. You've been following him, D? He is... Oh, yeah. He's the Reverend down in Florida. <sighs> yes, okay. <laughs> he uh. insisted on holding a Sunday service, and he packed his church so that they all, the good people of his church, could spread the disease. There you go. That's a, a really nice uh, Christian thing to do. Uh, he says he has a constitutionally protected First Amendment right to hold his services, and so he is going to hold his services 
and the joint was packed. Here's a quote from him. Uh, I know that they're trying to beat me up for having the church operational, but we are not a non-essential service. Suddenly, here we go. Suddenly we are demonized because we believe that God heals and that the Lord sets people free and they make us out to be some kook. Yes, you are kook. You are kooky. And anybody who's in that church with you is kooky. Let's be honest. This is not about uh, your First Amendment protected right to practice your religion. You're well, free. Take a shot, everybody. The brown line. There it goes. You know what? And by the way, I was uh, Mary Wisniewski. We dropped that uh, the, that interview this weekend. Dee, and yeah, I shout out uh, to the live stream audience. It seems like you guys are uh, catching up here on the Benny J bonus interviews. Brianna weighed in. She said she's caught up on some of our previous ones, like Scott Duff uh, and KMA Barry said he enjoyed our interview with Joe Cowley. Yeah, that was. Th- thank you for saying that. Uh, Dennis allowed me to do that as a bonus interview. Joe <laughs> Cowley, uh, Ben. All right, I'll let you do that one interview. But it was it was a blast for me. Joe Cowley, the Sun Times beat writer for the Bulls, who took the deep dive on the. Uh, on the Bulls, it was uh, it was enjoyment, uh, a joy to think about it. And he he was the one who said that you know Gar Foreman, the general manager, is gone, long gone, scouting in Siberia. Anyway, I'm going to tangent. Mary Wisniewski, who came on the show as a bonus interview, what was it Monday? Yesterday we dropped that one, right? D. She, of course, is the Tribune's uh, public transportation writer. And Dennis and I are mainly me. I'll take the, I'm, I'll throw myself under the bus. I've been making finally for <laughs> once. Have been making jokes about how the brown line is empty. And so why are we uh, even running them? And then Mary Wisniewski pointed out that uh, they keep them running in the case that people who are essentially needed have to, for their jobs have to get to work, like healthcare people, people who work in stores, uh, people who drive the buses, et cetera. So, and you know what? I was like, that made perfect sense. So I apologize for all those stupid jokes I made, and I will not make any more stupid brown line is empty jokes. Thank you, Mary Wisniewski. I'll be listening. <laughs> if be I old. hear a brown line joke. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so where was it? Oh, yeah, this crazy reverend down in uh, uh, in Florida feels he has a First Amendment protector right to practice religion. Yes, you do. You could also practice that religion while we're in the midst of this pandemic uh, on the Internet. How about that? You know, you don't have to, like, endanger everybody's life to practice your religion. You can practice your religion on the Internet. Everybody else is making accommodations. I have a First Amendment protected right to do my show back at the Sun-Times and pack pack the room with all our guests, right, D? But we're not doing that because we respect the dangers that this uh, pandemic have for all of us. So uh, this nutcase down in Florida thinks he's greater than a disease, uh, thinks, his, thinks his cause is greater than the health and the well-being of the people uh, in Florida. And he claims that uh, he's backed by God in this. But just in case, D, he's got himself a good lawyer. Yeah, the article in the, the New York Times quotes his lawyer. Uh, here we go. The problem with this administrative order is it was not reviewed by constitutional experts or vetted by a deliberative body. How about that? He's going through the order that says the uh, the, the pastor cannot have a his uh, Sunday service because it's endangering health, and he's like picking it apart, looking for all like the little flaws in the order that make it constitutionally what it's unconstitutional now. So it's just so funny. He's like the guy. You figure like if he felt that his cause was so great, was given to him by God, God alone, why would he hire a lawyer to get him out of go to jail? You know, if you're going to be a, uh, if you're going to take one for your cause, if you're going to be a martyr for your cause, go to jail. Why hire a lawyer, you know, to go to court and just look for all the little, you know, little details that get you out, all little technicalities that get you out, huh? How about that? 
Uh, and by the way, as nutty as he is, as the nutty as the Reverend uh, Rodney Howard Brown is for holding a packed service uh, on, on Sunday in the middle of this coronavirus epidemic, which could turn all of his or some of his parishioners into carriers of the disease. I don't even think he's the craziest person in the state of Florida. That, that honor probably goes to the governor of the state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, who won't... Uh, Close down the state, won't issue the same sort of statewide uh, stay-at-home order that uh, we have here in Illinois, that they have in New York and many other states. Uh, essentially, he's divided Florida into two districts, the Democratic District in the southeast and the rest of the state. It's like he thinks that this is only a disease that attacks Democrats. Uh, that, that's this kind of notion that many of Trump and uh, his supporters have spread that like this is not really a disease or it's like a, the Chinese virus or it's something that's in New York or something that's in Illinois maybe uh, that it doesn't really affect them or that they're stronger than the virus uh, it's 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 it is a form of insanity no doubt about it anyway Ron DeSantis uh, is now outraged at uh, people flying into the state of Florida from New York and New Jersey again uh, Democratic states states with uh, Democratic governors and Louisiana now, you think of Louisiana as a red state, but they do have a uh, Democratic governor. Uh, so anyway, he's saying that people who come in from the New York and New Jersey should be quarantined. Meanwhile, this is the same governor who left the beaches and the bars open for student break uh, so that thousands of students could flock to the state of Florida, cavort on the beaches, have fun, get drunk, uh, pass each, give each other the virus, and then head out <laughs> to the other states to spread the virus. Uh, so uh, this interesting uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, a Republican, elected in 2018. Uh, I guess he thinks that it's not a virus that can be passed. It's not a danger uh, as long as the bars and the restaurants on the coast are making money. So interesting. Uh, governor of Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, I think he is cr the craziest person in the state of Florida. But I don't know if he's crazier than Reverend Jerry Falwell Jr., who opened up Liberty University for spring break. Uh, more craziness I read about over the weekend. Uh, thousands, several, I think close to 2,000 students came in, uh, and uh, several of them have come come down with uh, COVID-19. And now uh, they don't know how many have been dispersed, gone back to their homes to spread the disease, to be carriers of the disease. Uh, Reverend Jerry, Jerry Fowell, here comes the brown line again, D. Reverend Jerry Fowell. <laughs> Uh, Reverend Jerry Fowler. And a toke. <laughs> it's a twofer. Apparently, uh, Reverend Jerry Fowler sort of bought into the Trump notion that the whole thing was a hoax made up by the, uh, concocted by the Democrats and the news media to undermine President Trump and give folks a reason uh, not to vote for him. So he was going to show that uh, he had total disdain for all the orders and the opinions of the scientists and the doctors of the world. He's going to uh, call the students of his university back uh, to, Virgin to the Virginia campus, endangering absolutely everybody. And perhaps the craziest person of them all is the man who's in charge of it all, President Donald John Trump. Had a lot of time over this weekend, D, to watch Donald Trump in action and to see uh, how he's handling uh, these responsibilities as President of the United States during this, uh, this crisis. I have to say this. I think Donald Trump is starting to enjoy this moment a little bit. Yes, I start, I'm starting to think, D, that our president of the United States gets some kind of perverse pleasure out of watching other politicians beg. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of Governor Andrew Cuomo and Governor J.B. Pritzker, uh, who are constantly trying to figure out what they have to say 
in a deferential way to Donald Trump to get him to send them the masks, the ventilators, and the other equipment they need, the tests that they need. You know, you have to be nice to him. You can't criticize him. You have to tell him what a great job he's doing. You have to find your inner Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, who's constantly deferring to Donald Trump, constantly referring to him as this the great leader who's doing the best things. And so like, I'm watching Pritzker and Cuomo really struggling to try to say the right things. And uh, it, it doesn't really work because we still don't have the masks and equipment that we need, but it seems to pump up Donald Trump. And what is he doing? He's turning around. He's already making a uh, commercial. I don't know if you saw this, D. Uh, he's making a campaign commercial. Getting ready. The rest of us may be hunkered down. But Donald Trump's thinking November, and his operatives are ah, thinking of yes. getting reelected. <laughs> the only person on the planet who is thinking about November. Well, actually, I'm thinking about it all the time. Uh, and uh, I just, but I just got into a, a little bit of a, a, a tiff, if you will. No pun intended. Whoa, uh, I see. That was good. <laughs> with some of my Joe Biden friends, as you know, I was critical of Joe Biden uh, last week, and I'm still mildly critical of him. At least he's talking. But I was really upset with him when he when he went went underground, disappeared after the uh, primaries of the 17th, went silent for I think it was six or seven days, six days maybe I can't remember. And I was like, where the hell is Joe Biden? We need his voice. And I wrote about this and. Outrage Biden bros, and they're, they're, they're a whole category of humanity, D, Biden bros. Uh, they claim that the Bernie bros are so sensitive. They're well, I guess we're just saying that again now. What? Bernie bros. Oh, so, well, that's what they claim. I'm putting it in quotes. Okay, okay please, yeah. please. Uh, and uh, so they say that Bernie supporters, but then they call them Bernie bros when they say this, are so sensitive. But Biden bros, good God, you can't say anything without crying. Anyway, they wrote in, they said, Ben, it would be unseemly of Joe Biden to raise a political concerns during this pandemic because we should all be one uh, as a country and swing voters in Wisconsin and Michigan would be really offended. And so it would work against them. They're so worried about swing voters, uh, my friends of the Biden persuasion. Anyway, I just want to tell you guys, uh, while you're co- counseling Joe Biden to lay low and not be tough on Donald Trump, Donald Trump's already making commercials. Okay. And by the way, every day I get 20 appeals from the Tea Party, Donald Trump Jr., Mitch McConnell, Newt Gingrich. I'm on their mailing list just to let you know. And each one of these appeals attacks the Democrats for being crazy, attacks the Democrats for being radical, attacks the Democrats for not doing enough to help uh, in the pandemic. Just want you to know this, Biden bros out there, that while you're counseling Joe Biden to lay low, be mellow, be cool, don't get political. Donald Trump's making a commercial in which he uses the voices of Cuomo and Pritzker to his advantage to make it seem like he's the great leader, when in fact, they're trying to figure out what they have to do to get this lunatic in charge to give them the equipment, the masks, the ventilators, the tests that they need to keep people from dying in their states. So it's not like they really love them. It's like it's a form of extortion. And this finally... Final point, final bit of craziness. Got to give Michelle Goldberg credit. New York Times, she is a columnist for the New York Times. More of like Elizabeth Warren um, Can supporter. you show all those listeners that newspaper, oh, please? Oh, yeah, here we go. Do we, Get here a look we at that. Look at that. Yeah, Real newspaper, folks. By the way, one thing I've been doing is obsessively reading uh, 
the New York Times Online and the Sun Times Online and the Tribune Online. Oh, what a millennial. I know. It, it took a pandemic wow. to turn me into. Back in the day, as everybody knows, I was on the regular 24-hour cycle. Uh, and now I'm slowly making my way into the 21st century. And I'm, I'm like, because I'm, I'm at home, man. There's no basketball for me to watch, D. Okay? So I'm at what home. What would the Bulls record be right now? Oh, they'd be in the middle of a 20-game winning streak. Things <laughs> okay. would have turned all around. Right. Right. Things would have turned around. Zach Attack would have teamed up with Kobe White. I'd be every. I'd be doing bits like this. Well, Chicago, jump aboard the bandwagon. It's time for everyone to get excited. <laughs> By the way, more good news on the Bulls front. Just want to say this. Well, you you raised the topic, okay, D? I did. Uh, that uh, what is it? ESPN and ABC have put together this six-part series on the Bulls of the 1990s, the championship Bulls, Michael, Jeffrey, Jordan Bulls, Scottie Pippen Bulls, Dennis Rodman Bulls, and they're going to release it early because they, they looked at the ratings for uh, Tiger King and they good, nothing, nothing but suckers sitting around with nothing to do. We'll put some, and there's no sports. We'll give them the Bulls. Yeah, ESPN figuring out a game plan here. History. Yeah. So they're Go going, for the history of sports. By the way, did you notice they have posters of the Bulls on the wall there? It's, you can't see it. It's around the other court. Anyway, uh, Michelle Goldberg, Trump wants state to do him a favor and here's how she begins the column last december during a congressional hearing on impeachment the stanford law professor pamela carlin tried to explain the gravity of donald trump's ukraine quid pro quo by making a domestic analogy members of congress congress she said should imagine living in a state quote prone to devastating hurricanes and flooding what would they think she asked if their governor requested a meeting with the president to talk about the assistance and he replied I would like you to do us a favor. Well, that hypothetical, ladies and gentlemen, is happening right now. If you are the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, if you're the governor of Illinois, J.P. Pritzker, and you ask Donald Trump to use his powers to uh, send your your state the, the, the masks and tests that desperately needed, Donald Trump says, big boy, grovel, say nice things about me, then you'll get your mask. And it turns out that you can... Grovel all you want. Story in the Sun-Times today. It was kind of buried. Hey, I thought this should be the headline. First page, huge front page story. Pritzker says Fed sent Illinois hundreds of thousands of wrong face masks. So here's J.B. Pritzker begging Trump, telling Trump what a great guy he's doing, getting used by Trump in his commercials, and they still send them the wrong face masks. Folks, I think you all agree with me when I say this. You could not have found a worse person to be in charge during this crisis and the person you have chosen, Donald John Trump. We got a great show today, everybody. You are keeping it short today, huh, D? Yes, Howard Aramer, we're going to do Work a Work smart, not hard, but is my theory in yes, all this, all gonna, right? We're going to be dropping bonuses throughout the week of people that we interview after the regular show. Uh, and uh, Howard Ehrman will be here, Dr. Howard Ehrman, and he is fired up to talk about uh, the coronavirus. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call the doctor, Dr. D with the news. Hey everybody, how's it going? Take a toke. That was the brown line. <laughs> All right, we Wait, have some. Aren't you going to say I'm not a doctor? Not a doctor. We have some Chicago and/or Illinois news regarding the COVID nineteen crisis <laughs> happening in our country at the moment, and we're going to talk about it. But before we do any of this. And boy, we can't stress this enough. Ben and I would like to speak with all of you listening one on one for a moment. Live streamers, downloaders, please listen up. Both Ben Jarofsky and myself, Dr. D, producer Dennis, we just want to say, please, please, please do not rely on us for the latest <laughs> COVID-19 updates, all right? There are way better sources for that. That's correct. 
If you are relying on us for up-to-date news, you are so far behind, and I feel very sorry for you. <laughs> That's like Joe Rogan. Remember Joe Rogan when he was, quote-unquote, apologizing uh, for some of the stupid things he said down through the years? Remember that one, D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, this, God, it's like another political universe ago. Uh, it was in the middle of the uh, Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, battle there, tiff, if you will, back in Iowa, where Elizabeth Warren was saying that uh, Bernie Sanders uh, had um, said that a woman couldn't get elected president, and then uh, uh, Bernie Sanders said that wasn't true, and then Elizabeth Warren, people were chastising Bernie for promoting his appearance in the Joe Rogan show. Remember that? Because Joe well, Rogan... Joe Rogan show's back in the news now because he was uh, saying stuff about Biden, saying he's unelectable, and actually The Hill and Crystal Ball uh, were talking about it uh, yesterday, I believe, so they're using Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. again. Anyway, when it's Joe Rogan... When Joe Rogan was making his apology and pointing out that some of the stupider things he had said on his show were actually from... Uh, with good intentions, he just can't help himself. He said, uh, I just want to say what he's saying i can't dennis won't let me swear but he he's rogan swears all the time but he goes i'm just a beeping moron i wouldn't get my so when you said that i was like oh my god you're channeling your inner joe rogan well it's it's just true i can picture if there's somebody just hunkered at their apartment waiting on ben and dennis to tell them what to do please <laughs> stop listening actually and... as soon as you said that we have howard Ehrman, who's very knowledgeable well exactly yeah yeah howard Ehrman's gonna provide us with some things here but yeah, yeah have but, other sources yeah. of info please yeah. okay all right everyone <laughs> governor jb pritzker will be at the thompson center he's giving his daily covid19 press conference uh i have some info as to what the state has been doing to adjust uh but ben uh before we do that have you thought any more about jumping on the jb pritzker for president in 2020 bandwagon yeah i'm i'm driving that train uh jb pritzker andrew Cuomo. now here's the thing uh, okay since I'm, you could go to other sources for up-to-date information about uh, COVID-19. Yes, absolutely. But if you just want to uh, hear and talk about the politics of it all, this is where you come, folks, because I'm still obsessed with the politics of it all. I still talk about it. All right. Since Joe Biden got out such a terrible start uh, to dealing with the COVID-19 uh, scare, and uh, since he disappeared, and then when he reemerged, some of the things he said were absolutely incomprehensible, uh, not giving me a lot of faith in his ability to lead. And since it's pretty obvious that the Democrats don't agree with me, D, and they're choosing Biden over Bernie, and I'm a good sport about it, all right? You know, I don't always win. I usually lose. Uh, so I've been saying, all right, Joe Biden, you're our leader. And he's done nothing to inspire me to think that he could be a, good, a great leader. I disagree with Rogan that he can't get elected. I could, we could talk about that all day, but I, I'm not really inspired that he could be a great leader. Since well, I disagree. I'm inspired. Reassess the recommended period for keeping businesses shut and people at home. Are you at all concerned, <laughs> as Trump said, that we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself? We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. That doesn't inspire you. <laughs> that does not inspire you. <laughs> Speak for yourself, uh, sir. Uh, <laughs> I love that one. I used that in a reader column. I had a little fun. I just wrote a column about this, folks. You know, calling on my own, all my uh, friends of the Biden bro persuasion to help me out understand what <laughs> their leader was saying there. You know, they get very defensive. You go, Ben, he stumbles a little bit. Okay, you're not perfect. Okay. <laughs> Ben, the people like him, okay? Then they yeah, always. You're not running for president, Ben. Yeah, I know. I'm not running for president. Number one. And number two, then they always turn it into a personal thing. Well, you're just mad because your guy lost. Okay, 
my guys always lose. Okay, you know, I don't walk around permanently mad. I always vote for the Democrat. My, I've never, I can't think, well, Barack Obama, 2008. That was the last time I voted for a Democrat, I think, that won in a primary. So I always lose. It's, it's like, this is nothing new. You guys act like, oh, Ben, you know, you're just mean to Biden because he beat Bernie. No. I, I'm upset because my fellow Democrats are set to nominate a guy who on the outs, on the outside looks perfectly incapable of dealing with the, the crisis he's about to be handed. I will say this, even in his most demented-like state, Joe Biden is far superior to Donald John Trump to running the country. So I, will, I make that concession. Of course, the bar is awfully low with Donald John Trump. So I make th- that key concession. And then there's the Tracy Bame theory. Tracy came on the show, what was the last Thursday, D? We were talking about this, and she said- Friday. Wow, damn, you're good. God damn, you're good. Watch your language. I said, God dang. God <laughs> dang, you're hard on the guy. We got Joe Rogan, the most popular podcaster in America. He's always dropping the F-bomb. Uh, yeah, we're not the most popular <laughs> podcast in America. Hate to break it to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As I look out the window of my attic. Um, so, you know, Tracy said that he, the key for Joe Biden is to uh, nominate a really great uh, vice president and have a, an extraordinary cabinet and say okay you know i'll buy that you know it, it, it it's like the reverse theory of what happened with george w bush and dick cheney where an incompetent president was con- controlled by a evil vice president who ran everything so we're here in this case we're hoping that we're hoping that the president is controlled by a good person a good uh vice president who is looking out for the interests of most people so i can buy that so i do believe that joe biden even in his most uh, incomprehensible state like that one uh is far superior to donald trump i will say that but i do not believe that i can make the case that he's the best of all the democrats out there to lead our country at this time and i know the biden bros get mad at me when i say that d they get very upset because they love him and they want me to love him as much as they love him but i'm sorry guys i can't and some of the arguments you come up with to defend loving him are utterly absurd like the one in which they say you should not get political during these times like as though as i just pointed out donald trump isn't already making his campaign commercials anyway well, I'm going to just say it right here, and I'm going to keep it going. Biden, no thanks. Cuomo, beat it. Oh, you what asked me I'm about Pritzker. For, I'm going for <laughs> J.B. Pritzker 2020. Let's start it here, man. Come on. And for the record. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> J.B., J.B. Once all this is said and done, let's strat and take over and... Run for President Pritzker. President Pritzker. President Pritzker. It's hard to say. No, it's fun to say. Uh, President Pritzker. All right. That's so funny, D, because we were not actually on the Pritzker bandwagon when he was running for governor. Just want to point that out. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I got to stick with my downstaters, man. (laughs) Downstater running for governor? I'm voting for him. Bob, sorry. All right. The following comes from the Illinois Political Bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Campos. Illinois lawmakers are looking ahead at how the state will manage the financial fallout of the disease despite the money from the feds. Legislators are in virtual discussions about if and how they can meet to continue what would be a bare-bones, streamlined legislative session that is already weeks delayed as it approaches its May 31st wrap-up date. House Speaker Michael Madigan, hey, we haven't talked about old uh, Double M since all of this. (laughs) MJM. We haven't talked about him. Madigan told his Democratic caucus, quote, there is no way to predict when the House will return. 
uh, for session. This is according to oh, Steve Brown. Wonder what he's up to. Oh, Stevie B. We should bring him on the show. Steve Brown, big Cardinal fan, by the way. We haven't had him on the show uh, since he got fired. Time. I don't think we've had him on the actual podcast, right? You got uh, fired? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I don't think he's been on. <laughs> you're right. Because well, back in the, the glory days when we were at the studio of the podcast, we always wanted people to be in studio. And uh, Steve was like, well, I'm really busy. I'll, you know, I'll stop by when I can, blah, 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 et cetera. Because, huh. he, he, you know, he's downstate, D. He doesn't live in Chicago. Oh, well, we got to get that. we got to get Steve Brown back. Uh, lawmakers also have questions about the five billion dollars coming to Illinois from the federal emergency stimulus package. Sixty percent of that money is going to the state and 40 percent to the largest local governments in Illinois. That means Chicago and Cook and the Collar counties. The state will have to determine how to parcel monies uh, f- uh, for communities with less than five hundred thousand residents. Lawmakers are also trying to figure out what strings are attached to the federal funds signed into law last week and whether that money can be used only to reimburse costs directly related to the pandemic or if a portion can replace lost revenue. Yeah, there's a lot of complications. Um, there's somebody I know whose name I will not mention uh, is applying for the, the loan that the government is giving to small businesses who are shuttered. And just, it's not like, there's there's forms you have to fill out D. There's uh, it's not quite clear exactly uh, how much you're going to get. Uh, you know, you see the great the the bold headlines about all these programs that the feds are going to be providing, and then once you take that deep dive and you start filling out the paperwork, you realize it's a little more complicated than you think. So it's no different, I'm sure, than the state trying to get that money. Uh, yeah, and I it's it, it's the state government. And the politicking uh, in Springfield seems so insignificant, as you were pointing out, as we're sitting up here in the attic, uh, watching the brown line pass, an empty brown line, I might add. Oh, but just pointing that out, not making a joke about it. Uh, It just seems so insignificant. Michael Joseph Madigan uh, was considered such a powerhouse that was like ruining the state of Illinois in the minds of Rauner and the Chicago Tribune. Remember those days, D? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it seems as though he's just like an afterthought. Like when you mentioned his name, we hadn't talked about Michael Madigan in, in forever. I hadn't heard his name. It was I'm funny. sure he loves that, by the way. Yeah. He, <laughs> he's behind the Don't scenes. Don't talk about me. Yeah, wheeling and dealing. Uh. Uh, so, yeah, no, I... Um, uh, I have to figure out a way to have a virtual legislative session because we're in lockdown. I'm trying to think, yeah, May 31st. Good God, that'll be interesting. Everybody on their little Zooms. Little Zoom. On their Zooms. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. <laughs> That's like the other scooter. thing. Zoom, man. You need to Zoom this, Zoom that. People talk about Zoom. I'm Zooming. <laughs> Howard Ehrman loves Zooms, our next guest. Absolutely. Uh, hotels across the state are transforming into quarantine centers. Yes, it's getting really real, guys. Uh, hotels across the state are transforming into quarantine centers as Illinois gears up for more cases of coronavirus in the coming weeks. Though, Trump Tower... Uh, Chicago isn't on that list. It's not? No. Hmm. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> than, I'm just reading the news. <laughs> You're the investigative journalist. Look into it. More than 120 <laughs> hotels with a combined 22,000 rooms have opened up their properties. About 30 of those properties with 11,000 rooms are located in Chicago. Uh, Illinois Political writes that it's a bright spot at a time the industry is being hit hard by the economic hammer of COVID-19. Some hotels, for example, are closing their doors outright. At least 
temporarily. As for our Chicago mayor, today Mayor Lori Lightfoot was at Chicago Public Safety Headquarters to congratulate new paramedics at a CFD graduation ceremony to announce new support for first responders. And Ben, it looks like the mayor may have taken uh, your advice on Friday. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, after a citywide public scalding on proper social distancing, <laughs> and after so many hilarious <laughs> online memes of said public scalding, Mayor Lightfoot has lightened up. See what I did there? She's lightened up with a series of PSAs encouraging Chicago citizens to stay at home and save lives. Get used to that little noise. You're going to hear that a lot in the coming minutes here. <laughs> so about all those uh, Lori Lightfoot memes, first off, there are uh, there may be like thousands of these. Random pictures of a Chicago uh, trail closed off by the police with a Photoshop picture of Lightfoot wearing maybe the baggiest pants of 2020 <laughs> right in the middle of the picture. One guy even made a video with the same photo popping up at his front door. Uh, we've seen a photo of her holding a flip-flop saying, stay in the house. <laughs> ben, have you seen these? Yes. And which one is your favorite? Uh, I love the stay in the the house stay in the house when there's so many <laughs> uh, can, can, I, can i just say a few things here dave let me just say a few things first of all uh i <laughs> i had a lot of fun on friday it was uh, in the midst of, <laughs> of uh utter insanity with uh, Lori lightfoot's anger her outrage at the citizens of chicago uh for parading was it wednesday they it got nice and they all flocked to the beach uh, to the lakefront and uh, in violation of all norms for how you should behave during a pandemic and the notion of social distancing. And then I just had to point out that, yes, it's true, uh, Chicagoans were knuckleheads. And that, yes, it's true uh, that the people playing soccer and basketball were as dumb as the students who flocked to the beaches of Florida in violation of all safety norms uh, for existence in a pandemic. So Lori Lightfoot was absolutely correct to be exacerbated as exacerbated at them, frustrated with them and angry at them. Correct, correct, correct. But what I also pointed out was that she kind of dropped the ball herself in the city of Chicago, dropped the ball because they did not anticipate the fact that Wednesday was going to be a beautiful day. And so they didn't take the necessary precautions to keep people from doing that or dissuade people from doing that. Uh, anyway, so I had a lot of fun with that because she was so mad at the people of the city of Chicago without even reflecting about what her administration could do, right, D? And so I had a lot of fun with that. Anyway, uh, since then, uh, Lori Lightfoot has taken things in a different direction, and she's using humor. She's lightening up, uh, as I think I did. I actually say that, D? Lighten up uh, on Friday? Was that my? Did I actually? No, say I don't it? think so. Oh, that's, no. that's too clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis is really good at the alliteration part of this. So, like, for instance, hey, we're going to have Monroe Anderson on, on the show. What should we call it? Uh, Monroe Monday. Whoa. A little behind the scenes. That was the first segment we came up with ever before Ben uh, had a radio show. Yeah, we were sitting. Alliteration. Oh, Monroe. Wait, Monday. Oh, my God. Monroe Monday. We Boom. Were, we were sitting in a restaurant eating uh, eggs, as I recall, mm -hmm. when that great uh, event happened. Anyway, Lori's lightening up, and good for that. She... Uh, uh, is, is moving on from scolding the people of the city of Chicago. Which is good, which is good. During mm. her daily COVID-19 press conference, Lightfoot was asked her thoughts, and uh, it was awkward when she was asked about the memes, but to my surprise, she's taking the memes very well. Here is uh, Lori Lightfoot's response. We've been having fun with it, uh, my wife and my daughter and I. <clears throat> but, like, look, I think this is a really intense situation, um, and we all need to find the humor. 
Uh, and from humor stems hope. And I know from my experiences over my life that when you have hope, you can heal. Hope is the thing that gets you up in the morning and propels you uh, over the course of the day. And we need that hope. We need to have that sense um, that even in this dark storm, there's light. And really, I think to me, what the memes say and the fun I think that people are having with them. And as you know, yesterday we launched um, our own PSAs and poking fun, but um, really emphasizing the importance of staying home to save lives. And the overwhelming response that we've received, like with the response of the memes, means, means to me that people are hungry for something to hang on to, something that will take their mind off of the stress and fear. Yes, where there uh, is uh, light, there is hope. Or is it hope, there is light, whatever it is. By the way, Laura, I, I, um, yes, I do appreciate that you're lightening up a little bit. Uh, it, the message is very important to get that message out. I'm with you 100%, but uh, uh, it is good that you, you know, you're, you're showing a different side of yourself here. You're having uh, fun with this. I will, I'm going to say this, that uh, yesterday I was going on one of my many walks trying to walk to keep from losing my mind. And I walked past a field where there was a soccer game going on, D. Oh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. God. What? What? I can't blame that on Lori Lightfoot, okay? <laughs> it's like it was a kind of a, it was a so-so day. These guys are out there playing soccer. I'm just like, you know, my fellow Chicagoans, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know where you're from, people. <laughs> what planet you have fallen off? Well, I got to say, those people playing soccer, they must not have seen these awesome PSAs from our mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Maybe I, if they've seen them, maybe they'll change their mind. I, I have the PSAs right here. Uh, there's about uh, 10 of them, but uh, there's a few that just, quite frankly, you can't play on a podcast. You kind of got to see it. You know yeah. what I mean? So it'd be kind of silly. But I grabbed the ones that are audible here. Uh, let's play them one by one. Ben, you weigh in and uh, okay. see in uh, soccer. If you're thinking about playing a game of soccer right now, <laughs> listen to this. Please listen to these PSAs. Let the mayor change your mind. The data shows that social distancing works. Please pay attention. Stay home. Save lives. Here comes the noise. Boom. <laughs> There's one. All right, that's good. How yeah. about the next one? Debbie. Getting your roots done is not essential. <laughs> your dog doesn't need to see its friends. You can work on your jump shot inside. <laughs> there we go. It, oh, it, and Ben, you've watched these. You uh, you claim that Lightfoot uh, may have uh, taken one of our uh, jokes. Though. Yeah, you're going to show that jump one? Shot? No, no that one, that's one's not that audible. Right, let me just throw this out there. I'm just going to put this one out there. All right. So I have this... this thing I do kind of compulsively uh, every day at the end of the show when back in the the glory days when we were at our beloved little studio at the bright one remember that those those days D mm -hmm. uh, so after a, a great show I'd sit back and enjoy a delicious sandwich right D yes uh, every day Dennis would get to watch me smelly sandwich <laughs> uh, poor Dr. D would be hard working away feverishly uploading the uh, episode uh, and uh, I'd be eating my sandwich and go, oh, man, this is good. And usually the guest, the last guest, they, you notice those, those glory days, they would stay on, D. They would hang around, and that's where the real stuff got. Oh, my goodness, folks, the stuff that people say off mic. Oh, this is off the record, Ben, blah, 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 blah. Dang, okay. Uh, and so when I was done with my sandwich, I would roll it up into a ball, and there was a wastebasket underneath 
the uh, keyboard in the old studio. Remember those good old days, D? It's only two weeks ago. Yes. And then I would say to the person, all right, now, here we're going to go. If I hit this jump shot from here, you're going to give me $5. Before they could say one thing or another, I would shoot the shot. Right? And if it went in, I go, where's my money? And then they go, how about, how about, how about? I didn't tell you I would do that. Anyway, every day I did that. It's and a gag I did. And then the commercial that she has is one that, it's not that audible. I should have grabbed it. I'm an idiot. But uh, she <laughs> says, I'm going to make this jump shot. And if I make it, you have to stay inside. And then she like slam dunks it. So according to Ben, <laughs> Lightfoot stole Ben's joke. It's all right, Lori. Hey, I got a million of them. You could take. You got like six. You don't <laughs> you have a million of them. I got a lot of them. All right. You can come in and take them. You could do if you want. You could do Dennis's imitation of Marge Simpson. All right. So what, what are your thoughts on these so far? These I love PSAs? them. I like them. Lori's got to lighten up and uh, I appreciate it. I enjoy it. Listen, Howard Airman's going to come on the show in a little bit and talk about all the things, the, the serious things that uh, the city and the county and the state and the country should be doing to protect us uh so the, you know there are some serious uh aspects of it all but i, I do i do appreciate a little humor and uh, i like the fact that she can make fun of herself or not get upset that everybody's making fun of her you have to have a thick skin and one of the criticisms of Lori lightfoot after what the first half half a year in office how long has it been i've lost it's almost a full year good almost god full year. time is flying uh is that one of the criticisms of her is that uh, she has thin skin and she's she gets really upset when people criticize her and then she holds a grudge forever uh so it's good to see her lightening up a little bit showing another side of her so i appreciate that it's going to help us get through this madness i was talking about this earlier uh i didn't quite finish my thought because i got distracted by something probably the brown line uh when, when we, we hit a challenge like this, like this crisis, it kind of, I'm speaking for myself, I, I kind of try to put aside all the grudges I hold <laughs> against politicians uh, and, and just sort of appreciate them for what they're doing at the moment. So for instance, in the, in, uh, the case of Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, I did not, I'm not a reporter covering New York, but I follow him from afar. And I know that uh, people of sort of my general worldview, lefties, were very upset and disappointed with him uh, on all kinds of issues, ranging from rent control to gentrification to education to charter schools. Uh, he was a big proponent of paying public dollars to get Amazon to New York. In fact, for a while, they had a deal cut until AOC uh, uh, criticized it and all of a sudden that scared Amazon off from uh, coming to uh, New York and uh, so I would have probably if I were having a podcast in New York or a radio show in New York I'd probably be all over Andrew Cuomo but at this moment of crisis he's stepping up and showing me something so I can appreciate uh, what he's doing and he's showing leadership skills in a matter of a crisis and so I think that is very important to you know applaud and appreciate him even if I don't agree with everything he did coming up to this point. And it's the same thing with Lori Lightfoot. You know, uh, there's a lot of things she did in that first year I had some issues with. Uh, the TIF program, for one, at the top of the list. Howard Ehrman wants to talk about that as well. But uh, you know what? I think these PSAs are winning you over. <laughs> Apologies to all the Aries. But if you stay at home now, maybe you can celebrate with the Geminis later.
Yeah, that one was kind of deep. deep. You have to know. Get uh, the bong out. <laughs> astrology. I'm not really into astrology. Take really out of that, okay? So there were, there's probably people out there right now going, oh, my God, Ben, it's so obvious. And then blah, 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 blah. I, I used to not believe in astrology, and then I dated a Gemini. Here's the next PSA. This <laughs> <laughs> is Stay home. Save lives. Yes, a commercial with her playing guitar poorly and singing poorly. I think she copied off oh, us again. Oh, there you go. Thank you for finally wrecking now, that one. I'm I'm suspicious of. <laughs> well, the, come on, the we coined poor singing. The basketball one uh, was definitely stolen from me. Whatever, not stolen. Come on, I, you know, it's it's, it's a. Uh, we have coined awful singing. Yeah, on, no, we have uh, in Chicago. But I like so. that one because if you could see it, you know, she's playing. She's playing the guitar, or you can't even say what she's doing is playing, but strumming the guitar. <laughs> so yeah, I got a kick out of that one because I do the same thing. My wife plays the guitar. I'll pick up the guitar and I'll, I'll pretend I'm a guitarist. I'll pretend I'm Jimi Hendrix on the guitar. <laughs> it's kind of what Lori Lightfoot's doing. Someone say that Lightfoot uh, is channeling her inner Jarofsky in some of these. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yes. Holy cow. You know what? If she comes out with one talking about uh, the bulls, I think we'll, uh, we're on to something there, huh, D? If she talks about, uh, while you're at home, check out Bob Dylan's Murder Most Foul. You know, we're on to something there, all right? All right, we got a few more to go here. If you're listening to this right now, and you're like, oh, man, I kind of want to go outside. Well. <laughs> hey, babe, what's up? Mom, I'm bored. You're not bored. You're saving lives. Boom. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> that one's pretty good. I'm bored. You're not bored. You're saving lives. Here's the next one. What's more important, saving lives or getting a pedicure? <laughs> it's cold out. Nobody's going to see your toes. No, that's a good one. Nobody's going to see your toes. That's a good one, Lori. I like that. Nobody's going to see your toes. Oh, my God. Ben's forgetting all about this Lincoln Yards thing. Yeah, Here Lincoln we go. Yards? What's that? Oh, here's the next one. <laughs> Tying run in oh, second. Yeah. Two out. Palmero. Tell you what. If my White Sox win, you got to stay home. Uribe charges close. Out! And the White Sox have won the World Series! Oh. All right, now let me just take a moment to talk about that one. I remember that one. I like that one a great deal. It goes back to the 2005 uh, World Series victory by my our beloved Chicago White Sox. It's interesting. Everybody's a White Sox fan now, D. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Nobody likes the Cubs anymore. That's because... Here... Here's an issue from the old days before the the plague. The Ricketts family owns the Cubs, and they take the money that you give them, Cubs fans, and give donations to Donald John Trump. So, effectively, you're subsidizing the Trump regime when you go to Cub games. It's really difficult for Chicagoans to jump aboard the uh, Cub bandwagon. Uh, Lori, so Lori Lightfoot is suddenly a White Sox fan. Now, I, I bet you if she was here, she would defend that. I'll point out. She will uh, never be in this attic. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, first of all, it would be a virtual interview. Okay, oh, okay. All right, all right. Virtual. Have you heard oh, of it? Oh, is that the brown line? <laughs> yes, it is, Lori. That's the brown line. Is that Rom at the front of it? Yeah. It's a, oh, she... I hope they're staying home. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. She's suddenly a White Sox fan. You know, uh, she's from Ohio. She should be a Cleveland Indian fan or a Cincinnati Reds fan, huh? 
Interesting how she's embraced. That's like Obama. Obama come. Uh, I'm a White Sox fan. Wait, that's my Obama imitation. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> Do Clinton make up for it? Uh, a lot of White Sox. Uh, <laughs> I love uh, Ozzy Gian. He's a great guy. Uh, Sound like Bill Clinton when he just woke up. <laughs> By the way, Doctor uh, Bike had that tape of Clinton. Mr. Bike. Mr. Bike. I'm Dr. D. He's Mr. Bike. Don't ever mix us up again. No, but sometimes I do call him Dr. I know. Bike, okay. He's so, got nothing to do with it. Look, the guy likes being called Dr. D. I'm not a doctor. Could you call only call me Dr. D? Uh he played that that bit of somebody doing a Bill Clinton imitation. Did, did you know what I'm talking about? The last time he was on the show, D? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Rom. Yeah, it was Rom. Yeah. I thought it was some lawyer for the city. I missed the bit totally. And uh uh, Mr. Bike later on told me, no, Ben, that was Rom. So that was Rom doing Rom's His imitation of Clinton is not bad. Better than yours. All right, we got two more PSAs to play here. Hey. <laughs> well, it's stuck that over. She's talking to you, Ben. Hey, it's not that hard. Stay home. Save lives. Boom. Done. Yeah, that was that. But can I just go back to the White Sox thing for a moment? Just no, for a it's moment? over. Next one. I just want to say this. It's like, I'm not sure that Lori Lightfoot really is a White Sox fan, and I'll let it go with that. Oh, my God. Well, now she's never coming up to the attic. <laughs> the truth is, 40,000 hospitalizations will break our health care system. Stay home. Save lives. That... Uh, that's a good one right there. Just getting that point across. Um, yep, that's a very good one. That's leadership there, folks. Just getting that point across. Well, I don't know if it's great leadership, but she's getting the point across. All right, if you haven't uh, saw those, go check them out on Facebook. Uh, that's where I saw them on Facebook. I haven't really seen them anywhere else. Uh, they're they're pretty funny. There's a few of them where, uh, you know, she's like baking and then she writes, uh, stay home. Obviously, we couldn't play that on a podcast. I mean, like, it's just music. Uh, and the infamous uh, basketball one. You go watch this <laughs> and you see. If she is, uh, you know, kind of taking a Benny J joke here, that according to Ben, she is. You watch it. You be the judge. Go check those. Well, out. I'll tell you what. Had she done the little uh, twist we have, where the uh, the um, the piano, the electric piano, is Matumbo blocking the shot, then we know, right, D? Because that was one of the little twists we would add. Matumbo block, trying to block my shot. Hang tight, non-sports fans. <laughs> So much more Ben Jarowski show coming up. In fact, we're going to be talking with our good friend. Uh, we've become real good friends with Dr. Howard Ehrman uh, in the last few weeks here. He's going to be giving us a COVID-19 update. Uh, so stick around here. It's the Ben Jarofsky show live from Ben's attic. And hey, remember, stay home, save lives. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, 
as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. All right, as we wait for Dr. Howard Ehrman uh, to come on the program, remember, everybody, if you're bored, and good chance you are, uh, make sure to check out all the Ben Jarofsky shows uh, that we've done. You know, we do weekend bonuses. Uh, it turns out we've been doing this for a year, and we have quite an archive of programs here. Uh, so we highly suggest you go download those and check them out at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Uh, ben talked with the Chicago Sun-Times Bulls writer Joe Cowley over the weekend. Uh, we also talked with our good friend Neil Muhammad. Uh, there's always uh, interviews that we're doing on uh, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Uh, like I said here i'm waiting for dr howard airman for uh that what, you know what i took uh well first of all yes i urge everybody to check out that library they um all kinds of topics we uh I, when we do the bonus drops that's when like i'll do a bonus drop with uh, mick Dumkey on bob dylan and mary wisniewski and i talked about uh when we weren't talking about public transportation we talked about nelson augren uh so yeah a kind of eclectic thing going on on the weekends what uh we sort of break away from the the normal news, the, the the news that's dominating the headlines. But I just I took the opportunity during the break, uh, D, to read Joe Rogan's comics comments about Joe Biden. I had missed that, and you you alerted me to that. And uh, his his thoughts are that uh, the Democrats got to be serious if they want to win the election in November, because as he put it, uh, Donald Trump will eat uh, Joe Biden alive. And what he points to is the fact that Joe Biden uh, is so many times is incomprehensible and says things that make no sense. And that's the evidence he uses that Donald Trump uh, will pound Joe Biden. I, I, I have a lot of issues with Joe Biden uh, being the nominee of the Democratic Party if the Democrats want to win. Uh, and I just wrote about it in The Reader. I talk about it on the show all the time. And I got all these Biden bros upset at me because I do that. So I have a lot of issues with it. And so many Democrats have the wrong attitude. They're like, Ben, shut up and fall in line. Joe Biden will be fine. That's what they tell me. So it's it's like wishful thinking. But I'm not sure that his uh, inability to complete a sentence will doom him. Donald Trump, half the time is talking. I don't know what he is talking about, D. He is as incompetent. We, we just don't play as many Donald Trump. Trump uh, bits as we do with Joe Biden. Uh, but the, Donald Trump had this one riff over the weekend where he was he was making it up as he uh, went along, uh, was my guest, having to do with face masks uh, and uh, it's being locked up in warehouses somewhere in New York City. And it wasn't his fault. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm sure most people in America had no idea what he's talking about. And there's a certain way that prominent politicians get away with being incomprehensible because if people like them, 
they tend to suspend their doubts about them and they go, well, I, they listen to them babble on about something that makes no sense. And they say, well, you know, I, I, I just, I like him. So I get what he's saying and we're not all perfect. And, you know, uh, it, he's a good guy. I like him. So I think that Biden will be uh, the beneficiary of that to for his true believers. I'm, uh, I'm not so certain that will be what undercuts him. What undercuts him in my mind is his timidity in attacking the Republicans and Donald Trump in particular, and the fact that he doesn't really stand for anything. So if you don't stand for something, what are you voting for? I guess the, the argument is, well, you're voting against Donald Trump. And I've never been convinced that in a, itself is enough. Uh, so when you put on top of that, that he says some really whacked out weird old things like uh, Joe Rogan is pointing out, that may be the kiss of death. But uh, anyway, Joe Rogan, uh, you're on to something. I like the fact that you are calling on the Democrats to be vigilant about the candidate they are embracing, even though he has so many flaws. Is Howard Ehrman there, D? I believe we have Dr. Howard Ehrman. Dr. Howard Ehrman, are you there? Oh, yeah, I see you right there. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh oh, we're having a little trouble hearing uh -oh. you. Time. Well, don't say uh oh. <laughs> Is that better? Say something, Doctor Airman. Can you can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you sound a lot better. There you go. Yeah, you hello, awesome. I'm here. Uh, hello, can you hear us? <laughs> yes, you can hear I us. I can hear you very well. All right, very good. And uh, this will all be edited out for the podcast. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, can you see me in the camera, Doctor Doctor Airman? Was like critiquing me. No, I know. I see that, D. But Dr. Ehrman was critiquing me. He said, but the last time I was on the show, I was not visible to the camera. So can you see me okay now? You're looking great, Ben. You're right. looking really good. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm So far, I am surviving. All right. Uh, this will be your third appearance on the show, giving us updates on what we, could, we should be doing, what we are doing. Uh, and uh, the future in the age of the coronavirus pandemic. So take it away, Dr. Ehrman. What's the first thing on your mind? Well, I think uh, everybody by now has heard um, that on Sunday, uh, White House Corona Task Force member Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, uh, since 1984, said the U.S. could record 100,000 to 200 deaths and millions of infections um, from COVID-19 coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So the question before all of us as individuals trying to protect our families, our friends, our coworkers, um, is what can we do to decrease those deaths? And one highlight I'd love for our people in Chicago to really think about um, is that a couple of days ago, um, the new hospital built inside the Javits Convention Center in New York City, which has a capacity of up to 3,000 beds uh, was constructed by the New York National Guard in 10 days. Yet, almost at exactly the same moment um, in the Chicago Tribune sometime Sunday night, it says it's going to take one month for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to build the same type of hospital in the corner place. Uh, that's totally unacceptable. Uh, these hospitals are absolutely crucial. You probably know by now that New York is building hospitals in Central Park. Um, and these hospitals are crucial because um, some of these hospitals can be built um, for having isolation rooms for people with COVID-19, but the main reason they're going to be used is to alleviate the existing hospitals. People who aren't as sick, um, people who aren't as contagious uh, will be moved to these hospitals or people who have other conditions other than COVID-19. 
So everybody should call the mayor. Um, everybody should call the governor, since both of them govern McCormick Place, and have them sit down with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers later this afternoon and say, uh, speed it up. It's unacceptable. In other words, the, as Pritzker said, I think there'll be a certain number of beds available within a week. Uh, and then by the end of the month, they'd have it completely. Well, the Sunday, the people, yeah, that's just too long of a time schedule. So here's what's happening already. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that as of uh, over a week ago, that certain hospitals um, have run out of isolation rooms. Uh, it's not just PPE equipment. It's just not just N95 masks. It's not just you know gloves. It's not just gowns. They've run out or will run out soon of isolation rooms. So what has to happen now is that certain patients um, who aren't as sick with other diseases uh, need to be moved immediately um, into these temporary hospitals. So that includes McCormick Place. It includes the three hospitals that were closed in the Chicago region in the last year. Um, all those places need to be retooled um, so that they can now handle other types of patients. Yeah, and as I was saying, that the uh, Governor Pritzker announced the Lakefront Convention Center will have 500 beds available by week's end. Uh, the medical center, which is being called an alternative care facility, eventually will be able to hold 3,000 beds for patients, most of whom would have mild symptoms and would not require intensive care. Another group of 500 beds should be available next week with 1,200 more by April 20th. The final 750 uh, acute care beds will be in place by the well, end of next month. Yeah, that's too long of a timeline. And, you know, you know, I hope the Governor Pritzker will renegotiate that because we know that the curve is still going up. Um, it's, it's getting steeper and steeper every day. We have not hit the peak yet. We don't know when we're going to hit the peak. Um, both Pritzker, um, his state director of health, the Chicago Commissioner of Health have both said it's going to be mid-April. That's at least two weeks away. Mm-hmm. So they need to speed up the construction of that. But that's not the main topic. Um, the main topic is really trying to build a movement in this city of what we're going to do right now to rebuild our public health system that extends into our public schools and into every other sector of life. Um, no other city devastated um, their public health system like Chicago. We talked about that in the previous two um, meetings. Um, we went from over 2,000 employees to less than 500. Um, all facilities that CDPH ran are almost all gone, either because they were closed or they were privatized, et cetera, et cetera. So there are $1.2 billion uh, in TIF money that are sitting in the bank uh, that Mayor right now could write a check for to start rebuilding the Department of Health. And one of the issues, of course, that we're all behind, and this is a great moment for this issue, and you have been behind us, and I really want to thank you, is Medicare for All. And I think this is the time that Medicare for All needs to come to the forefront. However, this particular effort to build a mass movement around abolishing all TIFs and immediately putting that money into public health, education, and other public services um, is not primarily about Medicare for All. In other words, if we had had Medicare for All uh, three months ago, and we had had all the tests in the world three months ago, this would have still been a pandemic, and we still would have had hundreds and thousands of cases just in Chicago and Illinois. 
because the public health infrastructure out in the community, which existed um, until about 20 to 30 years ago, has almost completely been destroyed. Chicago started in 1889 with 25 nursing stations uh, that was initiated by Jane Addams and Hull House to develop the Visiting Nurse Association. None of those places exist. So what this is about is to really say, suddenly, within hours, Mayor Lightfoot magically found $300 million at the end of the teacher's strike from the TIF money to, to settle the teacher's strike. We're telling her... Get the rest of the $1.2 billion. Reverse all TIFs to developments like Lincoln Yards and 78. So this Saturday, um, the Civic Lab, which has been working on this issue for a decade, um, is the leading organization in the United States because TIFs exist all over the United States. Unfortunately, we have the worst and biggest TIFs in Chicago. Um, they are going to be doing a workshop open to all Saturday, April 4th, 3 to 5 p.m. Um, and... This is the begin develop a movement, neighborhood by neighborhood, ward by ward. Uh, Beat the community organization, which I'm part of, is also a co-sponsor, and we'd love to have your show broadcast this live. Well, I don't know if we'll be able to do that on Saturday. As I told you, Saturday is a, uh, uh, a difficult day for me on many uh, levels. Uh, but you are embracing an issue that is... Uh, Dear to my heart, the TIF program, tax increment financing, and uh, I was until I talked to you before the show today, Howard. I didn't know you were going to raise it. Uh, I've been writing about TIFs since the '80s. Just recently, I was going through my old files because the reader's going to put out a special issue of their greatest hits. So I've been reviewing old articles I wrote, which is how I came upon the one of you from 1993, a uh, long time ago. And uh, when I uh, did a story about um, pollution in your neck of the woods. But the TIF, essentially the TIF is a surcharge that the city of Chicago effectively puts on the property taxes that people pay. And the money gets siphoned uh, into bank accounts largely controlled by the mayor. And more often than not, uh, they're dedicated for economic development programs. And I have economic development in quotes uh, Howard, uh, and often it's the case, in my humble opinion, they're underwriting projects that don't need the money to begin with. They're underwriting projects that are accelerating the trend toward gentrification. Uh, so they're making people who don't really need the money even wealthier than they already are. And they that money could be used for uh, more important things that people need, like, I don't know, nurses in schools, to give the example that you gave. Uh, and uh, so I welcome any effort by anybody uh, to take a look at how much money is stocked away uh, in the bank accounts uh, and then to use that money for worthwhile endeavors that would help uh, any, you know, the, the citizens of Chicago. That's what the money is, property tax dollars that everybody pays for. So if uh, this moment of crisis, this health crisis can force the city of Chicago to use the money that uh, people have been contributing without even realizing they're contributing it, Howard. Most people don't know that they're paying a TIF tax because it's not on their tax bill. If this moment is what it takes to get the city to finally use this money to pay for some just some obligations that have to be made that'll benefit most people, I welcome it. So I welcome, I guess Tom Tresser is leading the charge in that one. And uh, so I, I welcome him for taking this initiative.
Yeah, Jonathan Peck is now the, the president of Civic Lab, and Tom Trester, of course, is his sidekick. And we would really hope that with all the work that you put into this, and we really appreciate, Ben, all your investigative journalism, particularly around TIFFs for 30 years, um, that whether you can do it on Saturday or not, that you would join this campaign as well as all your listeners. Um, there has been a movement in the last year, as you know, um, where the Chicago Teachers Union, the Grassroots Collaborative, and other organizations have taken a positive step to say that now they reject all TIFs for private development. Um, that is very positive, but that's not enough because we don't want TIFs going to nonprofits either. I'm sorry, um, nonprofits are not the same as a public entity. The city of Chicago um, needs to be have three things happen to every part of the sectors. Number one is democratization. So the idea of an elected school board, which I think is somebody, something that's time has come, has got to be extended to every sector of the city, meaning the CTA, meaning the park district, meaning the library board, et cetera. That's number one. Number two is transforming the way that public works from a feudal system, which is still in effect. I don't care if Daly was the mayor or Emanuel was the mayor or whoever. It's a feudal system of appointing people to the board of corruption left and right. That has to be transformed. And the public sector has to be expanded. Um, so this is a great moment. It's an opportunity in the midst of darkness. Uh, it's a bright light at the end of the tunnel that we have to seize the time to take advantage of right now. Uh, Howard elaborated a little bit. A feudal system, the appointee p system we have where the mayor appoints the people who will sit on the boards of the CTA or the public schools, you call it a feudal system. Elaborate on that. Well, it's a feudal system. It's not, it's not democratic, meaning there's, there's no ability uh, for the most part, except when we have sit-ins, um, when we have demonstrations, go on strikes or whatever, for us to have any democratic rights in a modern society over that system. I mean, I think all the listeners here know that we're the only big city in the United States that doesn't have an elected school board. Um, and I don't, I want to be really clear. I don't think an elected school board by itself, even if it has 25 members, is going to make as much of a difference as some people think, but it should happen and it will help. So we have to directly elect people to the board. That's not the only thing we have to do. The same thing with the CTA. How many people who sit on a CTA board, and you and I have probably been to dozens and dozens and dozens of meetings over the last three or four decades, ever take a bus or train? You know, um, the same thing, you know, with the park district. I'm sorry, those people in the park district don't go into a field house on the south side or west side and try to find a program that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So this is one small step towards democracy and basically removing the king or queen, who is the mayor of Chicago, from appointing their buddies. I mean, we haven't even talked about the building commission, you know, and the public commissions. And the mayor, the mayor controls all of that. All planning is done you know, through the Public Building Commission, every person there that determines the future of every building in Chicago is appointed by the mayor. I'll give you one example. Chicago ranks 59 out of all cities in solar. Almost no building in the city that's a public building has any solar. In fact, I don't know of any. I may be forgetting one or two. 
Why is that? It, it may have something to do with Rahm Emanuel being the lead lawyer in the year 2000 of Commonwealth Edison becoming Exelon. Okay. And he had a long-term lifetime relationship with Exelon and Commonwealth Edison. And therefore, none of the buildings, including the green buildings, including all the lead buildings that were built by the city, have any solar on them. Uh, that's just one example that affects you know our lives now and in the future. I'm not sure Ron was the lead lawyer. Ron's not even a lawyer, but your point's well taken. All right, let's. Well, he was not the lead lawyer. He was the lead. He was the lead in yeah in basically facilitating. That's the best word to use. Commonwealth Edison, you know, becoming Exelon, the largest power utility company in the country. Yeah, Ron was able to uh, make quite a career for himself uh, in between stints in government. Uh, as a, what was it? I guess he called himself an investment banker. Uh, and uh, so I remember once I was interviewing, the only time I really ever interviewed him, and I said, he was an investment, he was running for Congress. And I go, investment banker? So did you start off as a teller and work your way up? Anyway, uh, I was just having a little fun with uh, Ram uh, interviewing him there. All right. Uh, I, again, I welcome any uh, attempt to open up uh, the TIF program. And uh, that is, there's, the issue that Howard is getting at is how much money is actually sitting in these bank accounts. As I said, when you pay your property tax dollars, there's a surcharge added uh, as a result of the TIFs, and it gets diverted into different bank accounts. And the bank accounts are supposed to govern uh, projects in uh, various TIF districts that are scattered across the city. The wealthier the area, the 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 more it's gentrifying, the more money is in that bank account. And by the, the rules of the game, the money is supposed to be uh, spent in the district for which it is collected. We all contribute to this program. So Howard, who lives in Little Village, is contributing, I just pointed this out to him earlier today, through his property taxes, for a TIF district in the loop. But that money that Howard contributes for the loop will only benefit the loop. <laughs> so this program, the TIF program, there's so many problems with it, uh, one of which is that it um, we don't know how much money is sitting in these bank accounts that Howard is alluding to. The only way we really know about it is that Tom Tresher's organization and his volunteers have taken the time to go through hundreds of different annual TIF reports to see how much money the, these reports uh, indicate is sitting in the bank accounts. On, on, uh, so he adds up, like, what is it, like 150 different TIF districts, Howard, and comes up with a total, some total. I, I, what did you say it was? 1.3 billion? Did you say that? Well, it was one. So, yeah, so people remember that um, right before and during the strike, there was $1.5 billion of TIF money account to which um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has the keys. Now, because she moved $300 million to settle the strike, there's $1.2 billion left. Uh, that could hire quite a few public health nurses. That could hire nurses for every school. You know, one reason that the Board of Ed complains and the CPS, uh, Janice Jackson complains she can't find nurses is because the salaries they offer are too low. So this would allow CPS, for example, and CDPH to offer very competitive salaries nationally, mm -hmm. which they have to offer, not just for the Midwest. All right. Well, anyway, the money is sitting there in the bank accounts. We don't know how much money exactly is because every time that Tom Tresser and his uh, allies come up with a figure, uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago, and it doesn't really matter who the mayor of the city is, 
uh, excuse me, Emmanuel or uh, Lightfoot uh, says, well, no, that's not accurate. There's those that some of that money is accounted for. Uh, there's projects, it's dedicated to certain projects that uh, you don't know about, but trust us, it's dedicated. So there's no independent verification of the, the amount of money uh, sitting in these TIF accounts. And I personally believe there's no independent verification of uh, this money sitting in the accounts because they don't want you to know how much money is sitting in the accounts. Because if you knew how much money was sitting in the accounts, people like Dr. Howard Ehrman would say, instead of spending it on Lincoln Yard, you should spend it on public nurses. And so they would just, they want to be able to say to the Howard Ehrmans of the world, well, Howard, you may know a lot about uh, the spread of diseases, but you don't know about the TIF money that's sitting in the bank account. And what you don't realize is that it's been allocated for a, I don't know, street repair project in Little Village. Uh, They'll just say that, even if it's true or not, Howard. Uh, And so what I think, what I've been calling for for years is an independent uh, accounting of how much money is in the TIF. So why should we just have to believe what the mayor tells us? And uh, you may like this particular mayor. You you may really like Lori Lightfoot, but even if you love Lori Lightfoot, there's no guarantee that she'll be mayor forever. You may not like the next mayor as much as you like Lori Lightfoot. So uh, I believe that there should be an independent verification to see who is telling the truth, Tom Tresser or the the mayor's planning aides. Uh, so that's what you're getting at Howard Airman. And I welcome any attempt um, to shed more light on this. And yeah, it's funny. Rahm Emanuel talks about using cr- crises to advantage. He's usually talking about using crises to get money to uh, developers. I think this is a good opportunity to use this particular crisis to see what resources we have available uh, for the public good. Well, thank you, Ben. I, I'd like to get back to the coronavirus because I know a lot of listeners are certainly very concerned. Um, I want to talk about very concrete things that we can do right now to decrease the number of cases and decrease the number of deaths, both of which are rising per day um, in the United States and in the hotspots, which continue to be New York City, New Orleans, Detroit, and unfortunately, Chi-Town, where we live. Mm-hmm. So these are definite things this is not just an idea for myself. This is something that's out there in the public, um, reported in New York Times, Washington Post, a lot of this. The first thing is to understand um, that regardless of what we see on the TV with the president and his advisors every day, um, the president of the United States, the CDC, and the rest of the federal government only have power over a very tiny percentage of this pandemic to do two things. Um, one is to, is around the question of quarantining and decreasing or barring entry into all ports in the United States, port meaning airport, seaport, rail line, roads, etc. So that's number one. Uh, Trump did that um, at the beginning, um, and it continues to today. So that's within his authority based on the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution. Remembering that there was a great compromise um, with the founding fathers, all of whom were white, all of whom were male, and most of whom were slave owners. So they did that compromise of giving tremendous power um, to the states in order to preserve slavery, um, the basis of which, of course, uh, was a slave feudal system to funnel um, cotton and other things to the north. So what does that mean today? The second thing that that Trump 
threatened to do um, a few days ago, and actually is within his constitutional right, uh, there's no doubt about this, is that if he felt that, not he because he doesn't know anything about this, but if his advisor said he really should stop people going over state lines from New York to Connecticut or New York to New Jersey or wherever, um, because that's constitutionality of the United States put federal troops on the border of any two adjoining states. That's definitely within his authority, despite what you might have read um, in the newspaper, in a few articles in the newspaper. Um, whether he does that or not, I don't know if he is, but I think certainly if this continues to spiral out of control, um, it's quite possible that he would. And uh, even though, of course, none of us like Trump, um, he may, you know, be doing something that would help. But what I want to talk about is the fact that since the beginning of the Constitution, guaranteed in the Constitution of the United States and in the Constitution of every state, that all the other power remains within the authority of the state, in our case, the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago, and actually within the health departments themselves. These things were developed in the 19th century into what are called emergency police powers around different epidemics, the cholera epidemic, the typhoid epidemics that killed thousands and thousands, the 1918 flu epidemic, and the latest example really of a mass epidemic was the polio epidemic, which didn't end um, until the late 60s, 70s. Now, what, that, what does that mean? An example of, that we've talked about quite a bit with reporters today is in the 1950s, and I was personally involved in this, um, the commissioner of the Department of Health in Chicago ordered by law and enforced that every private hospital open up a polio ward. Uh, my father was a UAW worker at Fort Torrance. They went on strike. We lost our insurance. I got polio, and I was put on one of those wards. Um, so there's tremendous power that most people don't know about. Uh, I'm not sure the commissioner knows about it, but basically that has to be enforced now. And what does that mean? Well, what it means is that, number one, the guidance that you hear the president and his advisors talk about from the CDC is just that. It's guidance. It's not legal. It's not enforceable by law. The Department of Health of Illinois and Chicago either accept or reject that. And unfortunately, I'm giving you now an example of what now has caused more infections to be spread. Uh, two weeks ago, OSHA and the CDC reduced the amount of protection for all hospital workers and patients by saying that not everyone with COVID-19 had to be taken care of by a health worker, whether that be a nurse, a doctor, a phlebotomist, wearing an N95 mask. They did not have to be in a reverse isolation room. Um, and this is incredibly dangerous because even though there's a shortage of N95 masks, that's not the way you do it. What you do is you bring together the experts in infectious disease, that includes doctors, nurses, uh, health workers, their unions, and you develop a set of guidelines, protocols, and algorithms to decide who has an N95, who gets the isolation room. You don't make a blanket recommendation. So the Chicago Department of Public Health and the Illinois Department of Public Health have to immediately reverse that, and they have to bring, make up their own much better recommendations. So that's, that's number one. Uh, the, other, the same thing has to happen with all workers. In other words, all workers are at risk. The, the cashiers and the baggers um, at any store in Chicago that's still open are at risk. They need PPE. 
They need guidelines. They need protocols that are going to be enforced by the Chicago Department of Public Health or if they're outside the city by the Cook County Health Department or state of Illinois. Okay, number three that's related to that, social distancing is not working in many public spaces. This is why the mayor correctly closed the lakefront, um, both the parks and the trails. Um, but this is not the only place it's not happening. It's not happening in most stores. The Department of Health has to place people inside and outside the store who, of course, beforehand give the store managers a strict step-by-step -step protocol of how to enforce social distancing, of how to wipe off carts correctly and then give them to the people, of how to basically put lines on the floor at these six feet apart, of how to decide how many people go in and how many people, you know, uh, at a time. Um, this is not being done except by some individual stores. And this is all causing, during this 45-minute interview, people to become infected by people who are not symptomatic or think they have a cold or the flu. What's your thoughts about uh, people bringing their bags in the stores? Uh, there was an article in the paper earlier this week. Mark Brown wrote a column in the paper uh, that uh, stores would stop uh, – allowing people to bring their own bags in to uh, put the groceries in. Uh, do you think this is a danger that when people bring bags in the stores, they could be spreading the virus? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a, legitimate, I think it's a legitimate discussion. Um, we know that bags are hard plastic handles, um, for example. And we know that this virus can stay on hard surfaces. Uh, steel and metal more than plastic, but can stay on plastic uh, surfaces for certainly hours and perhaps a few days. So if the person who's coming in the store shopping unknowingly has coronavirus, then certainly when the bagger or the cashier grabs the handle, um, they could theoretically be passing the virus. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is probably a good recommendation um, we always hate to use more bags, but I think in this case, it's a better thing to do than allowing people to bring in their bags. I just want to explain one other thing about this that people may be asking themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, since the Chicago Department of Public Health doesn't have enough people to do already what it's supposed to, where are these people going to come from? And that's a very simple answer, Ben. Right now, sitting at home across the United States are hundreds of thousands of health science students, medical students, nursing students, public health students allied health students, both graduate and undergraduates, who basically cannot work in hospitals or health facilities because their schools have correctly withdrawn them because of the fact that there's not enough PPE and they would, could get infected. So they're sitting at home. They've developed wonderful networks of mutual aid and solidarity, um, but they're needed basically um, to work with existing health department people to enforce these rules. For example, we know now that most of the food inspectors, the dozens of food inspectors for the city under CDPH are not inspecting restaurants for the most part. I mean, they, they may go to check out their carryout. So they could work under these food inspectors in these stores, in the pharmacies, um, and we need hundreds of them. And Chicago has the largest medical school in the country, the largest nursing school, one of the largest public health schools. And these students want to do stuff, and this is an appropriate thing. It's a very positive experience for their future. And uh, your thoughts on how 
uh, how do I put this? It's it's almost this political divide. I've not discussed this with you, uh, Howard Ehrman. We've concentrated so much on just some practical things that uh, the leaders in Chicago and Illinois can do. And as we talk about this, I'm looking at this political divide that exists on the um, the pandemic with, it seems, how do I put this? Republicans have this notion that somehow or other, or many Republicans have this notion that they're impervious to it. And I've watched over the weekend, uh, this minister, this pastor in Florida, uh, defying the orders not to have a church service and having the church service. I don't know if you follow these things, Howard. Uh, and and uh, President Trump was setting out the message that somehow or other, by Easter, the churches would be packed. I, don't, I, I never once believed that he, that was like a... Uh, a legitimate thought in his mind. I think he was uh, sort of pandering to his voters a little bit there. I don't think Donald Trump even goes to church. But uh, it's almost as though, and then the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, he won't issue a statewide order uh, or telling people to stay in their home, only in the southeastern portion of the state, as though people in the rest of the state aren't going to get it. Um, what's your thoughts on the impact, uh, the attitude that the Republican Party seems to have toward this pandemic? Well, I, I, the first thing to say, I, it's not just the Republican Party, sorry. Um, but I think most of the people you mentioned are, are probably the same people um, who don't believe in evolution, who don't believe in science. So I think this is just another example of that. They honestly believe, um, based on the fact that a lot of them are white males with you know, white privileges, that they are impervious. You know, they're still like, uh, you know, when we were teenagers, like nothing can happen to us. Um, and of course, that's ridiculous because Republicans, uh, starting with Paul, you know, have become infected. Um, hopefully none of them, you know, will die, but they've become infected. So I think when you look at the prime minister of England and you look at other people um, who originally, you know, made fun of this, uh, I don't think they're making fun of it anymore. Um, and I think in terms of what is important here for all of us to understand is yes, it's certainly correct for the main focus of our anger to be at Trump. But, you know, I can send people all kinds of documentation that they can find for themselves in five minutes on Google that the Democrats are just as responsible for what's happened the last 40 years as the Republicans. As far as I know, Mayor Daley was a Democratic mayor. You know, Mayor Emanuel was a Democratic mayor, okay? President Clinton was a Democrat. He privatized and deregulated and cut more of the federal budget and privatized the federal government more than all the presidents before and after him. I want to give an example about the FDA. You know, the, the person who's running um, the, supposedly running the Department of Health and Human Services um, is basically someone who was the CEO of Eli Lilly. Okay, that's his health background. Um, now, when President Clinton was in power, in 1998, he made a fatal mistake that has cost the lives of thousands upon thousands of people. What did he do? Previous to 1998, no one was allowed on the FDA decision-making commissions and bodies to approve or not approve drugs and make many other decisions, who had any ties to the pharmaceutical company. Clinton totally abolished that. 
immediately within one month, the vast majority, we're talking about hundreds of scientists now, the vast majority of scientists left the FDA of senior scientists. Mm -hmm. okay. And in the last 22 years, what we've evolved in very quickly for over two decades, guess who approves the drugs now? The drug companies. The drug company studies, so it's sort of like the fox guarding the chicken hen. The drug company studies are sent to the FDA board. Any FDA member on that board, and now the majority do, have direct ties to pharmaceutical companies, meaning they've gotten money for their research, money for their publication. Mm -hmm. And they look over the studies that come from all these companies, and then they approve the drugs. And they approve the drugs without sometimes really legitimate human studies. And then what happens, and this has happened dozens of times since 1998, is people start dying or getting very sick, and then they withdraw temporarily or permanently the drug. So that was President William Jefferson Clinton. That was not a Republican. Okay, President Obama, okay, completely mishandled the Ebola um, epidemic, and you know we were very lucky. Not just Ebola, but H1N1 swine flu. Both of those were complete disasters. We were incredibly lucky that Ebola did not come more to the United States than it did. We were incredibly lucky that the swine flu, which started probably in the state of Veracruz, Mexico basically very quickly became less lethal and less transmitted, transmissible. Um, if that wouldn't have happened, believe me, thousands and thousands of people would have died. And what did Obama do in 2014 after most of the N95 masks, most of the ventilators that you hear about every five minutes in the news? What did he do? Did he replenish the national stockpile? Absolutely not. So what Trump did is that he didn't do anything differently than Obama. So. I hope that people are getting the picture now. I can give you a lot more examples, but this is the situation. We cannot depend on the Republicans and the Democrats. The people are the makers of history, and this is the time for us to come together and develop uh, what we call people's movement assemblies in every neighborhood and every workplace and every university and school. All right, Howard Ehrman, uh, I feel this is a conversation we're going to be having for a long time to come. Let's close it down one more time. Remind folks... Uh, we're starting local. If you want to, uh, if you want to change the way things are done, on the most local, basic level, you can change how your money is allocated, how your money is spent, and this is these are property tax dollars that everybody pays. Howard Airman pays it, even if he doesn't realize he's paying it because he pays a property tax. Uh, Dennis pays it, even if he doesn't realize he's paying it because he pays rent and his landlord is paying a property tax so you are going to open up uh, some light on the issue of uh, the stockpile tiff monies and how they could be spent to fight uh, uh the pandemic tell folks just give them the information if they want to listen to you on saturday go ahead howard um on saturday we're having a workshop from 3 p.m to 5 p.m. open to everyone on Zoom. If you go to www.ntifsnow.org, if you go to the Civic Lab Facebook, Civic Lab, C-I-V-I-C-L-A-B, Civic Lab Facebook, um, the flyer either will be up now or later today. It gives the link to join the Zoom. Uh, we invite you, your family members, your coworkers, uh, fellow students to join with us 
and now launching this movement in Chicago, which we know is going to win, to abolish autism and move that money into emergency public health, education, and other services instead of projects like Lincoln Yard. Very good. Uh, Howard Ehrman, thank you so much. Dr. Howard Ehrman, uh, and uh, appreciate that. Putting uh, attention on the TIFFs. And uh, when he comes on the show, uh, Dr. Ehrman is, um, always makes a point, uh, D, to tell me uh, that d- Democrats are as responsible as Republicans uh, for some of the shortages we have in the uh, equipment uh, and testings and just our general attitude. He did this the last time he was on the show. He did it the time he was on the show. I'm sure he'll do it again when he comes on the show. And uh, uh, yes, he's, he's true. Democrats could do a lot more. Uh, and but I my general attitude is this in our system of government right now, uh, third party movement is not going to happen. So the people like Dr. Ehrman, myself, there's more leverage in the Democratic Party, as frustrating as it is to deal with Democrats, as exacerbating as it can be. Uh, to try to get them to do the right things, particularly on the local level. I know about the local level so much because I spend, I've spent the last 30 years of my life uh, dealing with how money is allocated in the city and how money is raised and the policies we promote. It is frustrating uh, to say the least, but I, I just draw this distinction here. There's a certain lunacy We'll end the show where we began it. There's a certain lunacy that's alive in the Republican Party. They do not care about uh, these larger issues that Howard Ehrman is talking about. In fact, they will oh, they will take the rhetoric that people like me and Dr. Ehrman use and try to use it against Democrats uh, when they're running for office. So I do believe there's a big distinction between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in this front. And yet... I appreciate Howard Ehrman pointing out, hey, Dems, there's a lot more that you can do. All right. If you're listening on the download right now, it's about 2.41 p.m. Central Time, uh, Tuesday, March 31st. Uh, The following comes from Capital Facts and, well, the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard, Rich Miller. Uh, J.B. Pritzker just gave his uh, daily COVID-19 address, and it looks like here uh, Pritzker has extended the stay-at-home order to April 30th. He said here, it is based upon the advice that tomorrow I will be signing an executive order to extend Illinois disaster proclamation, our stay-at-home order and our suspension of on-site learning at schools through the end of the month of April. It goes on to say if we can end these orders earlier, he will be the first one to tell us when we could start to make strides toward normalcy again. Yeah, I figured it would be the end of April. Probably go a lot further than that. He looks like we're going to be in this attic for a while. Oh, God. (laughs) All right, very good. We're going to close it down for today on the regular show. Uh, Dennis is going to get this... uh, uh, what is it? Uploaded so you can let people can listen to it uh, on the podcast. We're going to have an interview uh, with Maya that we're going to do in a little while, and uh, we're going to drop that as well. So the shows will keep coming. Um, we're just going to do it in a different way. I want to thank Howard Ehrman for coming on, and of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Back home in Alton, pandemic or not, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. everybody be on the lookout for an interview with Maya Duke Masava. We talk to her every Tuesday. We're just kind of doing things a little different here. It's our uh, work smart, not hard approach here on the Ben Jarofsky show. So be on the lookout for a uh, pre-recorded downloadable interview with Maya Duke Masava at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Go subscribe if you've yet to. Thank you to everybody on the live stream chat. Hang in there. Be smart. 
Uh, stay home and save lives. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader